ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله Really the praise belongs to Allah We praise Him, seek His assistance and forgiveness And we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds Whoever Allah guides, there is no one that can lead Him astray And whoever Allah leads astray, there is no one that can guide Him I bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah alone and that he has no partners or associates and I bear witness that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is his slave servant and his messenger this evening bi'ibnillahi ta'ala in this lecture number 47 from the sharh or the explanation of kitab al-tawheed al-ladhi huwa haqqullah ala al-abid by al-imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab ibn Sulaiman al-Tamimi al-Najdi rahimahullah we will discuss from the chapter which he has entitled باب قول الله تعالى يظنون بالله غير الحق ظن الجاهلية الإمام محمد بن عبد الوهاب رحمه الله in this chapter he has taken the title from an ayah of Quran Surah Al Imran chapter 3 verse 154 and he entitled it these words from that ayah يظنون بالله غير الحق that they have thoughts or evil thoughts they thought wrongly about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala other than the right type of thoughts but the truthful thoughts the thoughts of jahiliya, of ignorance the thoughts of the people of jahiliya, of the kuffar, the mushrikeen and the thoughts of the munafiqoon Al-Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab rahimahullah in this chapter intends to bring to our attention a very important point and a matter which every Muslim has to attend to and be careful of indeed it is of those things that one might easily and Muslims do commonly fall into and that is su al-dhan billahi subhanahu wa ta'ala having evil thoughts or wrong thoughts thoughts about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that are not befitting of his majesty of his greatness and of his glory and that which requires that is which is required of the believer if we realize the wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in his actions and the favor and bounty and mercy of Allah in his dealing with his creatures before mentioning the evidences the two ayats which Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab has mentioned in this chapter I would like to read briefly some of the comments of Sheikh Abdulaziz, Sheikh Salih ibn Abdulaziz Ali Sheikh one of the contemporary scholars who is a descendant of Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab 
and he has given a brief explanation of Kitab Tawheed that is recorded in 16 cassette tapes and those tapes have also been transcribed his introduction to this chapter is of importance and it clearly explains what is the intention of Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab in this chapter Sheikh Sali Hafizahullah may Allah protect and preserve him he said that in this chapter Al-Imam Al-Musannif Al-Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab the author he has mentioned two ayats from the Quran and the relationship of this chapter to Kitab Al-Tawheed or the general topic of Al-Tawheed is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is described with the characteristics of perfection Sifat Al-Kamal Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is described with the sifat or the characteristics of perfection and likewise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has the actions of al-hikmah af'al al-hikmah wa af'al al-adl wa af'al al-rahmah wal-bir yani that the actions of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are actions which are based upon hikmah wisdom actions that are based upon adl justice and rahmah mercy and bir kindness to his creatures the actions of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are such if his characteristics are the characteristics of perfection and his actions are the actions that are based upon wisdom and justice and, and mercy indeed he Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is perfect in his names and perfect in his characteristics and perfect in his rububiyah in his rububiyah and his lordship over the heavens and the earth and therefore from the perfection of his rububiyah and the perfection of his asma and sifat his names and characteristics is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't do anything except that what he does it is for al-hikmah al-baligah or it is for hikmah baligah yani it is for a wisdom that is far-reaching yani the highest extent of perfection of wisdom his actions are based upon this he doesn't just do things haphazardly and the wisdom or the hikmah in this is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here what is meant by wisdom is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala puts things in their places he puts everything in the place where it belongs the place which is in agreement with praiseworthy objectives yani everything that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does it is based upon hikmah and here hikmah it means that he puts things in that place which is in agreement or in accordance with the praiseworthy objectives yani it is in the place where it will achieve that objective which is praiseworthy and this the wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in placing things in their proper place in order to achieve their proper object objectives this is a, an evidence of perfection the perfection of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala therefore the shaykh says whoever has thoughts about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 
أنه يفعل أشياء لا عن حكمة فإنه قد ظن به ظن النقص In light of this, whoever thinks that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does something without it having behind it or as an objective a wisdom that is to achieve an objective or a goal whoever thinks so then that person has thought about Allah than and naqs yani that Allah is imperfect that his actions or his decree or his whatever he does that it is imperfect and this is than as su it is having evil thoughts of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and this is the evil thoughts of the people of Jahiliyyah then he says in this case whoever has thoughts about Allah which are untrue wrong thoughts about Allah then that dhan batil that false thought which they have about Allah it is a negation of tawheed or it is a negation of the perfection of a tawheed yani either the dhan as-saw or su'adhan billah it is either a negation of tawheed outright negation of tawheed and negation of iman yani the iman in the names of Allah and the characteristics of Allah that they are perfect either it is a negation of tawheed entirely or in some cases it would be a negation of the perfection of a tawheed yani that one's tawheed would be imperfect or that one's iman would be imperfect because the perfection of Tawheed and the perfection of Iman requires that we think about Allah in terms of His names and His characteristics and His actions that all of it, that all of them, that they are perfect and that He doesn't do anything except based on wisdom. Al-Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab in the first evidence that he mentions of this chapter the first of the two ayats the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Imran chapter 3 verse 154 he mentions Allah saying يَظُنُّونَ بِاللَّهِ غَيْرُ الْحَقِّ ظَنَ الْجَاهِلِيَّةِ that they have thoughts about Allah which are wrong thoughts other than the truth other than reality and they are the thoughts of ignorance the thoughts of jahiliyyah they thought that is the pagan mushrikun and the hypocrites the munafiqun they thought that the prophet وسلم, that he would not be successful in completing his mission in delivering his message they thought that Islam would not be victorious and overcome every other religion as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala promised promised him the victory and he promised to his prophets and messengers victory they thought that he would not be successful and that was because the Muslims in the battles with the disbelievers have lost some battles they didn't win every battle therefore when they lost the battle or they suffered some losses they began to have suadhan they began to have evil thoughts about Allah that Allah's promise was not true that the messenger وسلم, would not be successful that he would not overcome the disbelievers but that in fact they would be victorious again and again until Islam was removed from the earth and this was suadhan it was evil thoughts or wrong thoughts or thinking evil of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in his perfection and in his wisdom and in his promise to give victory 
to his messenger Muhammad and those who are with him. So he said about them, that is, the disbelievers and the hypocrites, that they had evil thoughts about Allah, the evil thoughts of ignorance. And some of the scholars, as was mentioned by an Imam Ibn Qayyim, rahimahullah, and that is in the end of the chapter, some of the scholars said that this Dhan al-Jahiliyyah, it included the idea that they thought the Prophet ﷺ would not be successful, that Allah would not support him, and he would not overcome the pagan disbelievers. And also, some of them held that what had happened, the calamities or afflictions that had befallen the Prophet or the Muslims, or the defeat in the battle, or the loss of 70 martyrs in the battle of Uhud, they thought that this was a proof that not everything that happens is by the decree of Allah. They thought that it couldn't be by Allah's decree. So they said, they felt and they believed that not everything which happens is by the decree of Allah. And some of them held that not everything that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decrees is based upon wisdom or has an objective or a purpose behind it, but it, it might simply be His mere will. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that they say, يَقُولُونَ هَلْ لَنَا مِنَ الْأَمْرِ مِنْ شَيْءٍ يعني, Do we have any authority in the matter? Indeed, they have no authority in the matter. It was their thinking that if they could decide what should be done, then things would go different. That they wouldn't have suffered the losses that they suffered, and what happened, and whoever was killed would not have been killed. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala responds to them by saying, قُلْ إِنَّ الْأَمْرَ that indeed the affair, the matter, all of it is with Allah. It is not for the Prophet ﷺ even, as they questioned him about the matter, doubting that he would be successful, doubting that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would give him victory, but it wasn't for him to guarantee the victory, but it is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who supports and grants victory to whomever he wills, and in the time that he wills, that is in accordance with his wisdom. Sheikh Al-Qara'awi, Hafizahullah, says that the relationship of this ayat to the chapter under discussion is that this ayat indicates the prohibition of having evil thoughts or of thinking ill about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, yani thinking wrongly about Allah. And the relationship of this ayat to the subject of a tawheed is that this ayat indicates the obligation of husnidhan billah, yani that it is obligatory on the believers to have good thoughts about Allah, to have a good estimation of Allah, to expect the best from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because husnuzan billah, having good thoughts about Allah and expecting the best from Him, this is of the wajibat of a tawheed, it is of the obligations of a tawheed. In order for one's tawheed to be complete and to be perfect, it is obligatory that one have good thoughts about Allah and not be suspicious of Allah or have doubt in Allah. To believe in his promise and to believe in whatever he has said and to know that his actions are just and that they are perfect. Then he says that the explanation of this ayat has already preceded in the previous chapter, two chapters ago, Bab Ma Jaafillaw, the chapter related to those who say, if I had done such and such, then this wouldn't have happened. This ayat was mentioned in that chapter and the explanation of it and the benefits that are derived from it, so there's no need to repeat it again. However, 
of the benefits of this ayat which are related to our topic of this evening which is of importance one of them is the fact that al-khair and al-sharr that good and evil it is from what Allah has decreed whatever happens whether it is good or evil it is from Allah's decree and the true believer knows that and has no doubt about it and therefore accepts whatever happens when it happens whether it is good or evil they don't doubt in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and another of the benefits of this ayat is that whoever rejects or opposes or doubts or is not pleased with the qadr of Allah it is one of the signs of hypocrisy in one's heart yani of true hypocrisy in aqeedah that takes a person out of Islam the second ayah that, the, that Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab mentions is from Surah Al-Fatih chapter 48 verse 6 in which he mentions the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will punish المنافقين, the hypocrites, the men, hypocrites, والمنافقات, and the women, hypocrites, والمشركين, and the pagan men, والمشركات, and the pagan women, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will punish them. الظانين بالله غنتو, يعني those hypocrites and disbelievers, men and women, who had evil thoughts about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who had ill thoughts about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And some of the commentators said that his punishment for them, it is both in this world and the next. In this world, their punishment would be the grief and anxiety that they would experience when they see the believers given victory, as they thought that the believers would be overcome, that they would not be victorious. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would punish them by them experiencing, yani witnessing, seeing the victory of the believers over the disbelievers. And in the next life, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will punish them as mentioned in this ayah that his anger would be upon them and his la'ana, his curse would be upon them and he would admit them to the hellfire. So he says that he would punish them, the hypocrites, male and female, and the pagan disbelievers, male and female, who had evil thoughts about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alayhim da'iratu saw. Alayhim da'iratu saw. In this world, there would be an evil turn for them. While they saw the disbelievers overcoming or having some victory over the believers, it would turn around. And that which they were hoping for and expecting to befall the believers of destruction and affliction and loss, it would actually befall them. They themselves would be destroyed and they would be the losers. وَغَضِبَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِمْ And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will become angry with them. The ghadab, the anger or the wrath of Allah would befall them. And this, in this ayat, it is a confirmation or affirmation of the sifa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, of al-ghadab, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala becomes angry, that Allah is angry with the hypocrites, and Allah is angry with the disbelievers and the pagans. However, the anger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala should be understood in a way that is suitable to His Majesty, to Allah's divine uh, to Allah's divinity, His greatness, and His glory. It should not be understood in the way of the anger of the creatures, the defective anger of 
the human beings. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's anger is an anger that is suitable and fitting to His greatness, His glory, and His majesty. وَلَعَنَهُمْ وَأَعَدَّ لَهُمْ جَهَنَّمْ وَسَاعَتْ مَصِيرًا And likewise, He said, وَلَعَنَهُمْ That He would curse them. Allah's curse would be upon them. And the la'an of Allah, the la'ana of Allah, means that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would remove them. That He would remove them from His mercy. That He would distance them from His mercy. They would not receive the mercy of Allah. وَعَدَّ لَهُمْ جَهَنَّمْ And He has prepared for them a fire. The hellfire, wasat masira, and evil is that hellfire as a destination. So that the disbelievers, the pagans, and the hypocrites, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He would turn the tables on them, and the, and the victory would be given to the Muslims, and they would be overcome, and Allah's anger would be upon them, and His curse, yani, they are being removed from His mercy, and likewise, He has prepared for them a fire that they would burn in eternally forever. As Shaykh al-Qara'awi, Hafidhullah, may Allah protect and preserve him, says concerning the second ayah, in its general meaning, that in this ayah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala informs us that the disbelievers, the disbelievers, al-kuffar from amongst the mushrikeen and the munafiqeen, the disbelievers from amongst the hypocrites as well as the pagans, that they have evil thoughts about Allah, dhan as dhan al-batil, false thoughts. What they think about Allah, their estimation of Allah is false. They have a hope that the Muslims will be destroyed and that they will be defeated. They hope for the defeat of the believers and they hope for the destruction of the believers. However, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has returned to them their scheme and their plot. He has made it to fall upon them and He promised them two punishments. The punishment in this world and the punishment in the next life, the punishment in this world is the burning of their heart with worry and grief when they see the Muslims being victorious over the disbelievers. And the punishment in the next life is Allah's severe anger upon them and Him and He pushing them away from His all-encompassing mercy but it will not encompass them and He admitting them into the hellfire which he has prepared for them and evil is it as a destination. From this ayah the Shaykh mentions seven fawaid benefits. The first of them is that the munafiqun, the hypocrites, they are more dangerous to the Muslims than the other disbelievers. The munafiq is more dangerous because he walks amongst the believers pretending to be amongst them. Number two, the prohibition of having evil thoughts about Allah. It is haram for a Muslim to doubt Allah's promise and to imagine that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does something which is not based on wisdom or that what Allah has allowed to befall us, that it is unjust or unfair. To have such thoughts about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is haram. And number three, that from the manner of the Qur'an in addressing the people is that the Qur'an usually gives, yani, mentions the men before the women. And this is what has been mentioned in this ayat, where the uh, hypocrites from amongst the men are mentioned before the hypocrites amongst the women, and the pagans from amongst men are mentioned before the pagans amongst, amongst women. And number four, 
which is related to point number two, is that having evil thoughts about Allah, that it is from the alamat of an-nifaq al-i'tiqadi. That having evil thoughts about Allah is one of the signs of hypocrisy in aqidah. Yani hypocrisy that is not merely a resemblance to the hypocrites in one's actions, but actually the hypocrisy that is in the heart, which is kufr, that takes a person completely out of Islam. Having evil thoughts about Allah is a sign of hypocrisy in the heart. Number five, uh, also in this ayat, is isbat or confirmation of the characteristic of al-ghadab for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it should be understood in a way that is appropriate to Allah's majesty. And that is in the ayat where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَغَضَبَ اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِمْ Number six, the permissibility of cursing the disbelievers. Yani, the permissibility of praying that Allah's la'ana before the disbelievers. عَلَى سَبِيلَ الْعُمُومِ In general. Yani, it's permissible to say, لَعَنَةُ اللَّهِ عَلَى الْكَافِرِينَ in general, that the la'na of Allah be upon the disbelievers. Or la'natullah ala al-mushrikeen, ala al-munafiqeen, and so on. In general, it is permissible to ask for the la'na of Allah, that Allah remove them far from His mercy. In general. Number seven, the confirmation. Ithbat anna nar mawjuda al-an. The confirmation that the hellfire is present now. In this ayat, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, وَعَدَّ لَهُمْ جَهَنَّمْ That He has already prepared for them, Jahannam. Yani the hypocrites and the pagan disbelievers, Allah has already prepared for them the fire. So the, the hell fire, according to Aqeed of Ahlul Sunnah Jama'ah, is present now. Allah has already created it. Uh, then the Shaykh says, the relationship of this ayat to the chapter under discussion is that this ayat indicates the prohibition of su al-dhan billah is prohibited to have evil thoughts about Allah to think evil or think ill of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the relationship of this ayat to the general topic of a tawheed is that this ayat indicates the obligation of having good thoughts about Allah, Allah about thinking well of Allah of having good expectation of Allah and Considering and believing that what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has done with his creatures, that it is the best that can be done. Because having husnidhan billahi, it is of the obligations of a tawheed and the obligations of iman. This second ayat, Al-Imam Al-Tabari, it is not mentioned here in the Shah, but it is of note that Al-Imam Al-Tabari, rahimahullah, the Imam of the scholars of tafsir, says in his tafsir, concerning this ayat, that those who had ill thoughts about Allah, it was that they didn't believe that the people of Iman, that they would be successful. They didn't believe, they did not believe that they would ever have the victory. Uh, that they would have victory over the disbelievers. And that the word, that their word, meaning Islam, would not overcome it would not be raised up and overcome the word of the disbelievers. And that was the evil of their thoughts, which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in this ayat. Al-Imam Al-Hafiz ibn Kathir, rahimahullah, concerning the same ayat, says that here their evil thoughts mean 
that they accused Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala of having some defect in his wisdom, in his action, that there is some defect there. And they also thought that the Messenger وسلم, and his companions, that they would be killed and that they would be removed totally from existence. And for this reason, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala responded to them in the end of the ayah saying, Alayhim da'iratu saw. But in fact, it would turn over on them. And it, what they expected for the believers, it, would, it is what would befall them, that they themselves would be the losers and that they are the ones who would be destroyed. Uh, and Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab, after these two ayats, he mentioned here in the text of Kitab al-Tawheed, a long discussion from the great Imam ibn Qayyim, rahimahullah, the student of Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, concerning these two ayats. Actually, initially his discussion is of the first ayat, the earlier one, and then he said that the meaning of that ayat is also applicable to this ayat, and because of the importance of these comments, that are taken from Zad al-Ma'ad, volume 3, page 228 to 235. Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab has quoted that statement uh, almost in its entirety. And he says that Ibn al-Qayyim, rahimahullah, concerning the first ayat, says that this ayat, it has been explained. Yani that the dhan, dhan al-jahiliyyah, the thoughts of ignorance that they had about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it has been explained that its meaning is that they thought that the messenger of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that he would not be victorious, and that his matter or his affair, yani the message that he came and the mission that he was missioned with, that it would fade away, it would dwindle and disappear, and that he would be the loser. That is one of the explanations of the evil thoughts that they had of Allah. Yani the hypocrites amongst the believers thought that in fact the Muslims would be overcome and the mission of the Prophet Muhammad would just disappear from the earth. And it has also been explained by the meaning that they thought that what had afflicted the affliction or the calamity that befell the Prophet that it wasn't by the qadr of Allah or by the hikmah of Allah. Yani that what had happened to him it wasn't Allah's previous decree that Allah had decreed it. And also that it wasn't yani, by the hikmah of Allah. That it wasn't based upon hikmah. And this denial of the qadr and denial that Allah's decree is based upon hikmah, it is a negation of a tawheed and negation of iman. So then Ibn Qayyim says, in that case, this ayat or this dhan al-jahiliyyah, it has been interpreted in three ways. The inkar al-hikmah. That it has been interpreted to mean the rejection of the hikmah. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's actions are based upon hikmah. That when he does something, it is done in the best way. Wa inkar al-qadr. And also it has been interpreted to mean that they rejected the qadr of Allah. The divine decree that everything that happens is based upon Allah's decree. What he has decreed from the beginning of time. وَإِنْكَارَ أَنْ يَتِمُّوا أَمْرُ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهِ وَسَلَّمُ وَأَنْ يُظْهِرُهُ اللَّهِ عَلَى الدِّينِ عَلَى الدِّينِ كُلِّهِ And also the denial that the affair or the matter or the mission of his messenger Muhammad صلى الله عليه وسلم that it would be completed and perfected and that he would be given success to overcome every other religion.
these are three interpretations and all of them are applicable and all of them are correct for what is the meaning of Dhan al-Jahiliyyah the evil thoughts of ignorance, of the people of ignorance, the disbelievers and the pagans and the hypocrites. Then Ibn al-Qayyim says, and this is, this same explanation, it is the meaning of Dhan al-Su, the evil thoughts which the hypocrites and the pagan disbelievers thought about Allah which, which is mentioned in Surah Tufat, yani in the second ayah. This is also the same interpretation or meaning of it. And in fact, the reason why such thoughts are called Dhan As-Su, evil thoughts, it is because it is a thought. And a thought about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala which is not befitting of Him. It is not befitting that one should think such thoughts about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the one who is perfect and free of any imperfections. And it is not suitable or fitting for the hikmah of Allah that they should have such thoughts. It is not in agreement with the true belief that whatever Allah does is based on wisdom, nor with the praiseworthiness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or His true promise. And if these thoughts are in contradiction to the reality that Allah's actions are based on wisdom, and that Allah's actions are praiseworthy, and that Allah's promise is true. Therefore, whoever thinks that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would give success to falsehood over the truth, Yani a permanent, ongoing, continuous success to the extent that truth would disappear, that it would dwindle, that it would yani dissipate. Or whoever denies that what has happened, that it is by the qada of Allah, by that Allah is the one who has executed what He previously decreed, and it is by His qadr, yani His decree, whoever denies such, that whatever happens, it is... Allah's execution of that matter and it is Allah's decree which he has decreed previously or whoever denies that the qadr of Allah that it is based on far-reaching wisdom hikmah baliga whoever denies this and that this qadr of Allah which is based on far-reaching wisdom that it deserves to be praised and it is praiseworthy it is a qadr that is praiseworthy it is not blameworthy we cannot criticize Allah's decree but it is perfect and right and just and fair whoever goes so far as to claim that whatever has happened it is merely mere will mashia mujarrad that it is mere will that Allah just willed it without any wisdom without any purpose without any objective Whoever thinks so, then this is the dhan, the evil or wrong thought of those who disbelieve. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in the Qur'an, ذَلِكَ ذَنُّ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا فَوَيْلٌ لِلَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا مِنَ النَّارِ That that is the evil thought of those who disbelieve and wail. And yani destruction and punishment is for those who disbelieve. They should beware of the fire. Then Al-Imam Ibn Qayyim, rahimahullah, discuss that which is of concern to every Muslim and he says that that most of the people have evil thoughts of Allah most of the people and Shaykh Muhammad ibn Salih Uthaymeen said that the meaning here of doesn't mean most of the believers it means most of the people in general but not the believers because the believers who have true Iman and correct Tawheed, don't have evil thoughts of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
He said that most of the people have evil thoughts about Allah in reference to that which is particular or peculiar to themselves and in reference to that which Allah does to the other people. Yani here, Imam Ibn Qayyim rahimahullah said that these evil thoughts of Allah that most of the people have fallen into it is in reference to that which is particular to themselves. And Shaykh Muhammad ibn Salih Uthaymin has explained by giving some examples of what he means that some people because of their imperfect iman and their defective tawheed that if they supplicate to Allah in the way that is legislated according to the sunnah they still don't believe that Allah would answer them. That is suadhan. Because if you supplicate to Allah in the way that He has ordered you in the way that it has been legislated then you should have husnudhan. You should believe and expect that Allah would definitely answer you. But most of the people have fallen into this. That when they supplicate to Allah, even though they have supplicated properly, they don't believe, they don't feel confident that Allah will answer them. Or when they worship Allah, when they perform some act of worship, though they have performed the act of worship properly, they don't believe, or they don't expect, or they don't feel confidence that Allah will accept it from them. When in fact, husnudhan billah, it means that a person should have a good expectation of Allah. That if you have worshipped Him properly, then He will accept your worship. But whoever thinks that Allah will not accept their worship, when they have fulfilled the requirements and they have adhered to the Sharia and to the Sunnah, then this is evil thoughts about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then he said, as for the evil thoughts that they have about Allah in reference to the other people, it is like what happened with the hypocrites, the pagans, in the, ta- the munafiqun in the time of the Prophet ﷺ, that when the Muslims suffered a defeat at the hands of the disbelievers, then they had evil thoughts about Allah that Allah, His promise was not true and that the Muslims would not be victorious and they began to think that the pagans actually would over- overcome the believers that they would continue to be victorious and that they would overcome Islam and Islam would, remo- would be removed from the earth and this is suadhan, it is evil thought about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in reference to what He does with others indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala might give victory to the disbelievers for a wisdom and Allah knows best when he gave victory to the disbelievers, what was his objective and what was the purpose that he intended to accomplish and indeed what he intended to accomplish, it was accomplished. It was indeed accomplished. Then Al-Imam uh, Ibn Qayyim Rahimahullah says another point which is of importance that no one is safe or free or escapes from falling into this evil thoughts about Allah Except, except illa man arafa Allah wa asmahu wa sifatihi wa mujab hikmatihi wa hamdihi. Yani that no one escapes from falling into evil thoughts about Allah. And this is, yani it is required for everyone to examine himself and see if he has fallen into such or if she has fallen into such. He said that no one escapes from this except the one who knows Allah. Except the one who knows Allah and who knows his names and who knows his characteristics and who knows what is necessitated by his perfect wisdom and by his praiseworthiness praiseworthy, pra- praiseworthiness yani if we know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we know his names al-asma al-husna and we know his sifat sifat al-uliya that Allah is described with the most beautiful names and that Allah is described with the best of descriptions if we know such and we know that Allah's wisdom necessitates that what He does, it has to be that which is best. If we know this, 
and we know that Allah's actions are praiseworthy actions, that is the one who will escape from falling into having evil thoughts or wrong thoughts about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then Al-Imam Ibn Qayyim says, وَالْيَعْتَنِي أَلَّبِيبُ أَنَّاصِحُ لِنَفْسِهِ بِهَذَا Therefore it is obligatory for Al-Labib, the one who has aql, the one who has intelligence, Al-Nasih لِنَفْسِهِ, the one who advises himself, yani the one who advises his own self, who looks to himself and takes care of himself. That one who is intelligent and who advises him own, his own self, he should take care of this matter. Yani take care of the matter of how he thinks about Allah. Whoever does so, then he will have husnadhan in Allah and he will avoid falling into having evil thoughts of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then he said, it is also required of the true believer not only to take care to this matter, but also that he should turn back to Allah. وَلْيَتُوبْ إِلَى اللَّهِ تَعَالَى وَلْيَسْتَغْفِرْهُ مِنْ ذَنِّهِ بِرَبِّهِ ذَنَّ And he should turn back to Allah in repentance and seek Allah's forgiveness from the evil thoughts that he had of his Lord Yani the evil thoughts that he thought about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and whatever has passed, he should repent from it and he should seek Allah's forgiveness. Then he closed by saying that if anyone would examine, whoever he would examine, yani if you examine anyone from amongst the people, then you will find that from amongst them you will find that there are those who stubbornly question the Qadr of Allah and who criticize and blame the Qadr of Allah for what has happened in their life, for their condition or for their circumstance. Whatever happens, they want to blame other than themselves, so they blame it on the Qadr of Allah. They question the wisdom of Allah's actions and they question the perfection of what Allah has decreed and its rightness. They say, it should have been like such and such and so and so. Yani, this should have happened instead of that. It should have been like this, or this should not have happened. Questioning what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decreed, and then He executed amongst His creatures. فَمُسْتَقِلٌ وَمُسْتَكْثِرٌ So from amongst the people, there are those who fall into this a little. مُسْتَقِل And there are those who fall into, into it a lot. مُسْتَكْثِرٌ Those who fall into it too much. وَفَتِّشْ نَفْسَكْ هَلْ أَنْتَ سَالَمْ Then he closed by saying, examine your own self and ask yourself, are you salam? Are you safe? Are you free? Have you escaped from falling into evil thoughts about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Yani, examine your own self in reference to the evil thoughts about Allah and in every matter. Have you fallen short in fulfilling the obligations of Allah? Have you engaged in that which Allah has prohibited? Everyone needs to examine themselves, and they need to ask themselves, are they safe? Are they free? Have they escaped from falling into such? And then he closed by saying that if you have escaped from it, then you have escaped from a great trial or a great affliction. And if not, then indeed I do not think that you have been saved. This is the end of the statement of Al-Imam Ibn Qayyim rahimahullah and Sheikh Muhammad Ibn Salih Uthaymeen rahimahullah also commented here just briefly he said that 
examining oneself. It means in every issue that the believer should examine himself. Whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made obligatory on us, we need to look at those obligations. We need to examine ourselves in reference to those obligations. And we need to ask ourselves, have we fallen short in them? Whatever Allah has prohibited, what, what, he has made, what He has forbidden for us, we need to ask ourselves, are we safe? And have we escaped from falling into that which Allah has prohibited? The Messiah at the end of the chapter are few. Shaykh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab has mentioned some issues of importance at the, at the end of the chapter. In this chapter he has mentioned four. And there are some comments about each of them, brief comments uh, from Sheikh Muhammad ibn Salih al-Thaymeen, rahimahullah. The first of the issues, Tafsir Ayat al-Ali Imran, yani the explanation of the verse in Surah Ali Imran. And that is the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, يَظُنُّونُ بِاللَّهِ غَيْرُ الْحَقِّ That they, the disbelievers and the hypocrites, they had evil thoughts of Allah, غَيْرُ الْحَقِّ Other than the truth, other than the way that they should have thought about Allah, that would have been suitable to His Majesty, the thoughts of ignorance, the thoughts of the people of ignorance, the disbelievers and the hypocrites and the pagans. The second ayat, tafsir ayat al-fatih, the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, الظَّانِينَ بِاللَّهِ يعني that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will punish the men and women from amongst the hypocrites and the pagans, those who had evil thoughts of Allah, ظَنَّسُوا يعني thought, they thought evil of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, they didn't accept or they didn't trust his promise and they didn't believe that his actions were based upon wisdom. The third issue it is Al-Ikhbar bianna dhalika anwa'un la tuhsar yani that these evil thoughts about Allah are different types and they are not limited they are not limited to what has been mentioned here but the evil thoughts of Allah are many. Ghanna's that evil thought which has been mentioned here by Imam Ibn Qayyim rahimahullah, the tabit or the rule that one may use in order to know what is included under dhan as-su since the dhan as-su evil thought it is of many types he said the tabit or the principle or the rule to know what is included in that is whenever someone has a thought about Allah that is not suitable or not befitting of Allah's divinity and his greatness the last of the material of the important issues أنه لا يسلم من ذلك إلا من عرف أسماء والصفات وعرف نفسه الإمام محمد بن عبد الوهاب says the last issue is that nobody is free nobody escapes from this of having evil thoughts about Allah except the one who knows the names and characteristics of Allah يعني the one who knows Allah knows him in reality by his true names his perfect names and perfect characteristics the one who knows Allah in that way and who knows his own self, knows his own shortcomings and his own defects, then he knows that whatever happens is not because of Allah being imperfect or unjust, but it is because of his own self, his own doing. And Imam Muhammad uh, ibn Salih, Shaykh Muhammad ibn Salih Uthaymeen, in the explanation of this point he says that no one is free from falling into evil thoughts about Allah except the one who knows Allah and knows his names and knows his characteristics and knows that which is necessitated by his wisdom and by his 
praiseworthiness. Yani due to his praiseworthiness. And the one who knows himself. And then who examines himself. And the reality of the matter is that the human being, he is the one who is the source of imperfection or evil. It is from the human being. If there is any imperfection, if there is any evil, it is from his own self. As for Ar-Rabb, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he is the source of perfection, absolute perfection. And there is no imperfection or defect of any type whatsoever that can be attributed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then the Shaykh closes by saying the relationship of this chapter to the topic of Tawheed, the relationship of this chapter to the topic of Tawheed, Shaykh Muhammad ibn Salih Uthaymin says that indeed evil thoughts towards done, having evil thoughts of Allah, it is a negation of the perfection of Tawheed. It is a negation of the perfection of Tawheed. And it is a negation of the Iman in the names of Allah and the characteristics. Al-Iman, the Asma, was Sifat. It is also a negation of that which is required of the believer, to have belief in Allah's beautiful names and His perfect characteristics. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in the Qur'an concerning His names, وَلِلَّهِ الْأَسْمَاءَ الْحُسْنَى فَدْعُوهُ بِيَحْبِيهَا In Surah Al-A'raf, verse 180, that indeed the beautiful names, they belong to Allah, therefore call on Him by them. وَلِلَّهِ الْأَسْمَاءَ الْحُسْنَى His names are the beautiful names, the names of perfection. And He said concerning His sifat, وَلِلَّهِ الْمَثَلِ الْعَالَى that for Allah is the highest method. And method it means al-wasf, al-sifa. That the highest description belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Meaning the descriptions of perfection. Therefore, if anybody has evil thoughts about Allah, then it means that Allah's names are not perfect. And Allah's characteristics are not perfect. But if he has the perfect names and he has the perfect descriptions, then there's no room for anyone to have or to believe, or to imagine, or to consider that there is an imperfect imperfection in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or in His actions. The questions at the end of the uh, handout, the first of them, who is meant by, and they thought wrongly, false thoughts about Allah. Who is meant in this ayat, the first ayat, that they thought wrongly, or they had false thoughts about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Who is meant by this? Those who are meant by this, who had, who this is of it means the hypocrites, the munafiqoon, and the and the mushrikoon, the pagan disbelievers. What were the dhan al-jahiliyyah, the thoughts, the thoughts of ignorance which they entertained about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? The dhan al-jahiliyyah that they entertained about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the denial that everything which happens, happens by the qadr of Allah. Yani the denial that any and everything which happens, it is by Allah's qadr and his qadha. And the second of them, according to the statement of Ibn Qayyim, is the denial that every action of Allah is based upon hikmah. That all of Allah's actions are based upon hikmah. And hikmah means here that whatever Allah does, that it is that which is right and suitable. That Allah puts things in their place, in their proper place, which is in accordance or in agreement with that for which they have been created. 
the purpose for which they have been created. And the third thing that he mentioned, it is that they thought, that they thought that the Prophet ﷺ and his companions would not be successful, that Islam would not overcome uh, the disbelievers, that uh, Islam would not spread, and that it would not be successful. Uh, the fourth question, what is the way, what is the tariq to escape from falling into ghan about Allah? What is the way to escape from falling into evil thoughts about Allah? Imam Ibn Qayyim said that no one is safe from falling into these thoughts except the one who knows Allah and who knows Allah by his name and by his characteristics. Naam, have I skipped the question? Huh? Hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. Number three, why were such thoughts considered as ban as so, evil thoughts? Why were those thoughts considered as evil thoughts? The reason why the thoughts which they had of the imperfection of Allah or the imperfection of His qadr or the lack of His hikmah in His actions, the reason why they are considered ban as so is because such thoughts are inappropriate and unfitting of the majesty of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his perfection. It is not befitting of the hikmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his praiseworthiness. And his such thoughts are a contradiction of Allah's perfection and the excellence of his wisdom and his right to be praised and the truthfulness of his promise. And it is not befitting of the one who knows that Allah's promise is true to doubt that if he has promised the believers success, how can they then doubt that they will overcome? So they are considered evil thoughts because, because it is unbefitting of the believer to think of Allah in such a way while Allah is perfect and his promise is true. What is the way to escape from falling into? Dhan is so, evil thoughts about Allah, the way to escape from it is to know Allah and to know his names and characteristics, yani to know Allah by his names and characteristics, in the way that is found in the Qur'an and Sunnah, not by reinterpreting his names or his characteristics, not by giving them meanings other than that which is understood, not by distorting them, or emptying them of meaning, or trying to explain the how of it, but believing in Allah's names and characteristics as they are understood in the Arabic language. The way to escape from it is to know Allah and to know His names and His characteristics and also to know that which is necessitated by His wisdom. Yani to know, if one knows that Allah's perfect wisdom necessitates that such a thing should happen, then when it happens one would not be surprised. Indeed the believers have to be tested. Indeed it is from the wisdom of Allah that some of the believers are killed in jihad. How else will, they, will Allah give them shahada, except that some of them have to be killed. If the believers won every battle, then they might begin to think that it is because of themselves that, that they have won, not because of the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Shaykh Abdul Aziz ibn Abdullah ibn Baz rahimahullah has mentioned a point concerning this. This time inshallah we'll finish the questions. We'll turn to this. Uh, 
the next question, number five, is based on the statement of Ibn Qayyim, and most of the people entertain than as so, evil or wrong thoughts about Allah, concerning that which is particular to themselves, and in that which Allah does with others. They have evil thoughts about Allah, concerning that which is particular to themselves, and that which Allah does with the other people. What does Ibn Qayyim mean by most of the people? By most of the people he means the people in general, not most of the believers. Because Al-Iman and Tawheed requires that a person have husn al have good thoughts about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Give an example of dhan as evil thoughts about Allah, concerning that which is particular to oneself. Yani an example of having evil thoughts about Allah, and that which is particular to oneself, is that one doubt. That somebody doubts when they have offered worship to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and they have offered it correctly, according to the Sharia and according to the Sunnah, and then they doubt that Allah will accept it. We should have husn al billah. If we offer worship to Him, and we offer it correctly, with the right intention, we should expect and hope and have confidence that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will accept it. We should not think evil of Allah, that He will reject from us that which we have offered to Him rightly. Give an example of dhan or evil thoughts about Allah and that which Allah does to others. This is the example of this ayat with the pagan disbelievers when they saw that the mu'mineen, the believers have suffered some defeat at the hands of the pagans then they began to think evil of Allah and they didn't trust or believe or have confidence in the promise of Allah that he promised the believers success then they began to think that the disbelievers will overcome and that Islam would be removed from the earth just because of one loss, just because of a few losses one should not think that Allah's promise will not be fulfilled. Indeed, Allah's promise is true. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also said in the Quran in another place related to this point, لا الذين كفروا في البلاد. That no one should be deceived by the going forth of the disbelievers in the earth. Don't imagine because they have some power and some authority in the earth that it is permanent and forever it is not so don't be deceived by such it is only temporary and in the end they will end up in the hellfire give an example uh, mention a sifa or a characteristic of Allah mention in Surah Al-Fat chapter 48 verse 6 it is that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has described for the disbelievers that he said غَضِبَ Allah عَلَيْهِمْ that the wrath or the anger of Allah will be upon them. The characteristic that is mentioned in that, in that ayat is al-ghadab, anger, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is described with being angry with the disbelievers, the pagans and the hypocrites, and that anger should be understood in a way that is suitable and that is appropriate and befitting of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His divinity and His majesty. Explain what is meant by the la'ana or the curse of Allah in the same ayat on Surah Al-Fat. What is meant by the la'ana? It means, when he said, Allah, the meaning here of Allah means that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would remove them from His mercy. Yani he would, his curse upon them means He removed them from His mercy, even though His mercy is all-encompassing and far-reaching. What is the relationship of this chapter to At-Tawheed? The relationship of this chapter to At-Tawheed is that this chapter, in this chapter, Imam Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab is making us to know that it is prohibited to have evil thoughts about Allah 
and that it is obligatory to have good thoughts about Allah because having good thoughts about Allah is an obligation. It is one of the obligations of a tawheed and one of the obligations of al-iman that the one who has correct tawheed and the one who has uh, correct iman perfect iman especially al-iman bi asma'illahi wa sifatihi the one who has iman in the names of Allah and his characteristics whoever knows them and believes them that Allah is all powerful and all knowing and just and fair and merciful and that he is the one who does whatever he wills whoever knows that then they could only have a good estimation and a good thought about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and believe that his promise is true. Uh, is there then? Tayyip. Uh, If somebody unintentionally, unconsciously had some evil thoughts about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then here Al-Imam Ibn Qayyim in the end of his discussion concerning this matter, he said that the one who, the only one who will escape from such is the one who knows Allah. It means that we have to know Allah better. We have to reflect upon, we have to learn and understand Allah's names and characteristics as they are recorded in the Quran and Sunnah so that we will know Allah. Then we have to know that whatever Allah does it is based on wisdom. We have to look at the wisdom in it if we can see it, and if we cannot see it, then we have to believe in it. And likewise, whoever has fallen into such, then they should turn back to Allah with repentance, and they should seek the forgiveness of Allah for whatever they have done in the past. Nobody can be absolutely free from such. But he said, the one who will escape from it is the one who knows Allah. And whoever falls into it in spite of that, then they should make tawbah and istighfar, repent to Allah and seek his forgiveness. And Allah any other comments or questions or corrections? And quickly, there are some comments here which indeed are of importance. If there are five or ten minutes remaining, we should read them quickly. From a ta'aliq al-mufid, the comments of Sheikh Abdul Aziz ibn Baz, rahimahullah, kitab al-Tawheed. He said that what is intended by this chapter is that many of the people do not accept the hikmah of Allah. And if they don't accept that there is a hikmah in what has happened, they don't accept calamity when it befalls them, or hardship or difficulty, they don't accept that there is some wisdom behind it. We should know this. But it is obligatory on us to submit to and accept the wisdom of Allah and the qadr of Allah. Also, many of the people do not submit to or surrender and accept the qadr of Allah, Allah's previous decree for whatever has happened, that He has already decreed it before it happened. And many of the people do not accept or do not surrender to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when He intends to bring to the intention of His servants their mistakes or their errors. And sometimes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala causes affliction or calamity or some hardship in the person's life so that they begin to think about their self. And what is the cause of this? And what have they done that might be the cause of such? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sometimes He brings to our attention our shortcomings and our errors and our mistakes by causing something to happen to us so that we will prepare ourselves and that we will pay attention to ourselves so that we will correct ourselves. Indeed, many of the people, they have evil thoughts of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and these are many from amongst them. He said that they are those who whenever something happens which is not in agreement with their desires or their whims, then they believe that 
or they imagine that it is not based on any wisdom or that it is not based on a previous decree of Allah. The second of them are those who believe that whatever happens is merely Allah's will, but it doesn't have any purpose or any objective or any real cause for it or reason for it or wisdom behind it. And number three, those who think that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is unjust to his servants. Those who think that Allah is unjust to his servants. And this is perhaps the most dangerous of those who have evil thoughts about Allah and it is very common amongst the Muslims, not to mention the Kafirs, those who, have, who think that Allah is unjust to his servants. And they say that Allah has done such and such and Allah has uh, caused some harm to such and such or caused some loss to so and so. And what is the reason for all of this? And what is the reason for this? Why have I lost my child? Why am I suffering from this sickness? Why is it that I can't uh, do better in life? Why I can't get a better job or have money like other people? As though Allah is unjust to us. Believers should be careful and not imagine that whatever Allah has decreed, that there is any injustice in it at all. And then, and there are a number of comments, but from amongst the most important of them, he mentions some of the wisdom behind the believers being afflicted with some calamity, or test, or trial, or loss on the battlefield. And from amongst the things that he has mentioned of the wisdom behind it, is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he tests the sincerity or the ikhlas of the believer by these calamities. And also of the wisdom is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wipes away a person's sins. He forgives their sins due to some affliction befallen them. As a result of that, He wipes away their sins. And also of the wisdom behind that is that a person, that a person becomes attentive to their self when they find themselves in some difficulty. And in this way, they will prepare themselves to face Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then, uh, Shaykh Abdulaziz ibn Baz closes by saying uh, any of the important things that he said that indeed sometimes the believers will suffer a loss they will suffer a defeat at the hands of the disbelievers and he said of the wisdom behind that one of the wisdoms is so that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give some of them shahada, martyrdom, that they will be martyrs shaheed in the way of Allah and also he said that if the people were, if the Muslims were given victory in every case, on every occasion, always and no harm had ever afflicted them, then perhaps they might become mu'ajib, the anfusiyah. They might become of those who are pleased and amazed with themselves and begin to think that they are better or that they are great or that they are something beyond what they are. And they might not have, they might not retain the state of humility and submission to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and also they might not admit or recognize their shortcomings and their defects they might think that the victories are because of their own intelligence or their strategy or their power or their actions. But when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tests them with some calamity or affliction or disaster or loss, then it causes that person to humble themselves and to turn back to Allah. Uh, if a woman was unable to fast yesterday and she fasts today, is it permissible for her to fast tomorrow for another day differ from the Ufar? And that which has been confirmed in the Sunnah is that the Prophet ﷺ fasted on the 10th of Muharram, inshallah, which is today, uh, as a result or يعني, in accordance with the uh, practice of the Prophet Musa ﷺ, who fasted shukran because of him and his people being saved from Fir'aun. 
As a result, Musa fasted السلام, and the Jews fasted and when the Prophet came to know that, he said, نَحْنُ أَحَقُّ وَأَوْلَى بِمُوسَى مِنْكُمْ That we have more right to follow Musa than you. It was his practice to fast. He fasted that day and he ordered the believers to fast. However, in the end of his life, some of the Muslims brought it to his attention that the disbelievers, the Ahl Kitab, the Christians and Jews were fasting, Ashura, and it was his common practice to oppose or to differ with the disbelievers. Yani in the beginning of the mission, the Prophet ﷺ used to act in accordance with the Ahl Kitab in many matters. But in the end of his life when Islam became strong and the Muslims were spread, then he began to oppose them and to distinguish the Muslims from the Ahl Kitab. Therefore they reminded him that this day was fasted by the Ahl Kitab. So the Prophet ﷺ, he said, لَإِن بَقِيتُ إِلَىٰ قَابِلْ The Prophet ﷺ on that occasion made intention. He said that if I remain to the following year, then I will fast on the ninth. Meaning, I will fast on the ninth in addition to the tenth. In addition to the tenth. Joining them together to oppose the way of the Ahl Kitab. For this reason, the scholars, many of them said, Imam Shafi and Imam Ahmed and Ishaq Rahway and other scholars said that it is mustahab to fast on the 9th and the 10th together because the Prophet fasted on the 10th and he intended to fast on the 9th. However, the hadith concerning fasting on the 11th is not sahih. There are no authentic hadith concerning fasting on the 10th and 11th. No fasting the 9th, 10th and 11th. There are hadith, but they are not sahih. Uh, and therefore, what is correct in the sunnah is to fast on the 9th and 10th. However, However, not considering it from the Sunnah. However, if a person fasted on the 10th, in addition, I mean on the 11th, in addition to the 10th, as a means to oppose the fasting of the Ahl Kitab, which was the intention of the Prophet Sallallahu fasting on the 9th, some of the scholars, some of the scholars have allowed it. Yani, that the purpose of fasting on the 9th is to couple the 10th with another day of fasting, to oppose the way of the Ahl Kitab. Therefore, if somebody also fasted on the 11th, if they missed the 9th, some of the scholars allowed it. However, be aware that there is no authentic hadith for doing so and we should not consider it sunnah. But if anyone did it, they should do it with the intention just to oppose the Ahl Kitab. Otherwise, if someone fasted just on the tenth alone, there is no blame on them. That is what is the potent fast is the tenth. And whoever adds to it the ninth, it is better. Mustahab, not obligatory. Therefore, if somebody fasted the tenth alone, inshallah, there is no blame on them. A woman was unable to fast on the ninth due to circumstances fasted on the tenth day of Ashura. Should she fast tomorrow since she was unable to fast on the ninth? The same question. Smilish. Also, we have some food for the brothers. Wait, any question or comments from the brothers? Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika. Ashhadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk.